everybody, welcome to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast Q&A version. I'm sitting here with the amazing Ashley Van Houten. How are you? I am well. How are you, Ben? Well. <laughs> you're, you're here. You're here. You got a smile on your face. I mean, that's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, we need to set the bar realistically. I think it's important for people to know that I have shitty days too. And today hasn't been a shitty day, but yesterday was interesting. And then I went out at night, for, I think it was the first time I left my house, to realize that it was a, a full moon. And I was like, why didn't somebody tell me this? And I really almost affect dudes as much as they affect women. I thought that was I just know. I, I think know, they, I was, they probably do. I haven't been that stressed out in years. And I don't even know why. It was just this this feeling of like I don't know, I felt like people were throwing shit at me and like I was responding. I don't know. It was just not a not one of those days. But mm-hmm. it was great. And I think that the issue, to be honest, if I'm being honest with myself, is as just as you said before the call, is I didn't have my anchors. So I didn't train. I didn't do my transcendental meditation. I didn't do my TM. I didn't go for my walk because I was so deep in digging out of the shit that I just didn't have my anchors. And I'm sure if I would have done my anchors, I probably would have felt better, been more productive, and you know, ultimately not had a day that was a little bit less than optimal. But back on track, good walk. This oh, wait, morning. wait, wait. I do think I do think it's worth. You said it's it's good for people to know that you have these days too. And I also think that a thing to highlight there is. Just because you have your anchors and you're aware of them and you have your priorities and you're aware of them and you're focused and you have all of those things doesn't mean that sometimes it can you can put things to the bottom of the, the list that you shouldn't and that you can sort of sometimes even, I'm not saying you did this yesterday, but lose sight of the priorities. When you have a lot of important priorities, your health, your family, your business, all of these things, yeah. sometimes they do get a little bit jumbled, even for a day or an hour or a week or a year or whatever. It's not perfect and it's not a perfect science for everybody. And even people who are at the top of their game struggle with this stuff. And I do think it's worth noting that. Yeah, I think my awareness that I had yesterday was I hate letting people down. And I've been doing it a lot because I'm like, I have so many people waiting on things for me. Like, hey, you need to do this. And hey, you need to do this. And hey, you need to do this. And I'm just like, it's on the list. I promise. As soon as it gets to the top, I'll be the first one to do it. But I've got so many things that are urgent and important and so many things that are not so urgent and important and just checking things off the list. Like, I mean, if I'm if I'm sacrificing time in meditation workouts with my children, something is wrong, right? Or, or something is overwhelmed. So it's okay. And you know, I just see it as an amazing opportunity. I woke up this morning super grateful that I have all these incredible opportunities. I'm onboarding new clients. I'm launching new programs. I'm finishing up the certification. I'm launching a new, new I'm building a new nutrition certification, like launching a new coaching. And all these things are take time and they take teams and they take systems and they take revenue. And they, you know, there's bills coming in that aren't being paid yet. I'm like, we gotta, we gotta get this shit done. So there's a lot going on, but uh, super excited for just the opportunity. And I think, Ash, you know, you're, you're part of this, and I'm so grateful for you. Uh, really getting clear on how we're providing value to this awesome community. You know, we've seen the Facebook community grow massively in the last few weeks. And I think it's just because you're going in there, I'm going in there, and everyone else in there is just providing this altruistic assistance. Like, hey, we want to be here to help you. And that, to me, is the greatest contribution to the world, is coming at this, leading with your heart. And uh, how can we help? Yes, we're going to help you build your muscles. That's easy. I'm so good at that. You're so good at that. But it's all the other shit that goes with it, right? And I, yeah. was really, I was writing an article today that hopefully we'll be able to post up later in the week or next week about why everyone fails at a body transformation, right? 98% of people fail, and the 2% of people that do succeed, usually within 12 months, have gone back to where their baseline are worse. Why, right? Okay, so how do we then start to decode that? And that's what the coaching that I'm watching is built around. Is like, forget the, the you know what I'll call the X's and O's, the tactics, the mechanics of transforming your body. Everyone, not everyone, there's a lot of people that can do that for you. But what most people can't do is create the life shift, right? 
the things, that, the habits, the, the thoughts, the characteristics, the identity that allows you to change and stay as a different human being forever. And you know, the reason I'm exploring this is because I'm going through it too, right? As I shift out of this one identity that I had for so long, that means you know, that identity to me represented you train every day, twice a day, you eat this much food, you're always eating till satiation and beyond because it was that difficult to maintain my muscle. And now I have to redefine this identity. I have to redefine these habits, these thoughts, and kind of these day-to-day activities to become a new person. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm literally going through this right now, right? And people can watch it visually. They can see my body yeah. change. And what they can't see is what's happening underneath the surface of all, like me bringing all these unconscious habits to the conscious level so I can start to change them, starting to pay attention to the way that I eat, to the way that I trained to the way that I think to the way that I don't think right what's happening when I don't think and how do you bring all those those things that are in the unconscious to the surface right so we know the conscious is like the the iceberg it's like what you barely see above the water but 95% of it's below the water and how can we bring that all to the surface explore it and learn how to just become aware of it and then once we can become aware how do we change it and this is what I've really been diving into lately and creating systems and processes and I think it's relatively simple not easy, not easy because, you know, it's very, especially after 35, we're very ingrained in the way we do it, but we can change. And that's really what I'm exploring with this coaching. So yes, the coaching is going to explore all of the body transformation stuff, right? That stuff to me is the easy shit. It's numbers. It's like, Hey, this is how you respond again. Maybe it's easy for me because I've been doing it for 20 years, but the other stuff, like getting people to actually love their life, getting them to change, getting them to be happy. Nobody gives a shit about building muscle. I don't care what anybody thinks. You don't want to lose muscle. You don't lose fat. You want what you think those are going to do for you, right? You want the confidence. You want the sexual energy, whatever you think it's going to do for you, the sexual attractiveness. What if we can do that without having to change your body or at the same time, better yet, right? Like let's look amazing, feel amazing, and ultimately just craft a life that's awesome. And that's really what this whole coaching is going to be about. Hmm. I have lots of questions for you. One, I would think that it would be almost more challenging, the kind of transformation that you're speaking about personally would be extra challenging for you because you are still incorporating this this part of your life and yourself that you are so well known for in this sort of next phase. Like you're still incorporating it, right? This muscle building as a tool and this fitness part of it as a part of your new kind of life and and business, but it's not your identity the way it used to be. So I would imagine that would almost be trickier than people who are just cold turkey, doing something completely different, moving in a completely different direction, because there's still this sort of people who are hanging on just for the old stuff, and they haven't moved over into like this new kind of concept, and then you're kind of in the middle a little bit. And so how do you how do you work through that in your head? That was a challenge, right? So when I, when yeah. I first left bodybuilding, I was like, I'm just going to rip off the bandit and I'm going to stop. And then yeah. I realized, well, I don't want to stop. I love this. And I think this is the greatest thing that we can do for our lives. It's the greatest opportunity to challenge ourselves on a day-to-day basis and implement discipline. So then how do you start integrating the desire to want to still be strong and muscular and train hard every day? with balancing not being 300 pounds, right? I think I told you when I, when I retired, I went from 300 to in about a, about 18 months, I went to about 250. So I lost about 50 pounds of, of muscle mostly. Actually, probably more more muscle. I probably lost about 60 pounds of muscle because I was a little fatter when I, felt when I stopped. That took a long time. That was very challenging. And then in six weeks, I went up back up to 280 because I started training again. I started training every day when Derek Lunsford moved to Florida to train with me for Olympia. We started training five days a week and I went from one meal a day to two. And that's not an exaggeration. I went from 250 back up to 280 in about six weeks. And people are like, what do you mean? Like, well, yeah, I just started training it because my body knows how to do it. I was still, you know, very, very capable and competent and able to push my mind hard. And I was probably able to push my mind even harder because of the meditation, the yoga I was doing. And 
you know, I got up to this point where I was still whooping his ass in the gym and I had 18 months off the gym, right? I was training for the Olympia. So that was this kind of ebb and flow that I realized exists, exists in my life. So I'll remove myself intentionally and then something will pull me back in. And I love it. Like I'm just, I'm learning to flow with a little bit more objection, uh, mm-hmm. sort of objective, meaning I have three kind of targets, right? I want to be strong and muscular. I want to have a great aerobic capacity. So I want my three types of training, I guess we'll say this. It's like I'm, I want, I'm training for strength and muscle. I'm training for mobility and stability, which is for me yoga. And then I'm training my aerobic system because I want to have greater aerobic capacity. So those are my three kind of kind of the trilogy, right? So I, I sometimes refer to the muscle intelligence trilogies and that's it. Strength, mobility, and stability, and aerobic capacity. If you can build those three things, you'll be happy and healthy, hopefully, for a long time. And so the way I do it is one day is strength training, the next day is yoga and aerobic fitness. And most days I'll do aerobic fitness. Most days I'll get out there and do walking and running and so that, that kind of stuff. I think for most people who listen to this podcast, at least you know, if you're 35 plus, there's some awareness of like, hey, at some point I'm going to die. I'm going to live forever, but I want to be here for a I long time. I don't have that awareness time. yet. I'm not thinking But I want it. to be here for a long time. So therefore I should start paying attention to my health, optimizing my life, right? So what does that look like? And it's not like, I'm not aggressively trying to put on a ton of muscle, but I still maybe want to put on some. And I want to be super lean and feel great all the time and have great energy and great sleep and low stress. And those kind of that trilogy is, is I think the best approach to do it. And that seems to be the market that's following us more and more now rather than the exclusive hardcore muscle building. And listen, hardcore muscle building for me is easy. You can put you can put anybody in front of me and I'll put 30, 40 pounds on them in a short amount of time because I've done that hundreds, if not thousands of times. But what, as I say, I always come back to is you realize that that's never the goal for these people, right? You know, you have these young guys who come in and go, Ben, I want to be Mr. Olympia. Awesome. Let's do that. I'll teach you everything you need to do. But let's make sure we're taking care of your health in the back end. So this idea of healthy muscle building. And when we do that, we start to realize that they overcome their insecurities. They overcome their fears. They become more self-confident. They enjoy the process of muscle building. And then their desire maybe shifts a little bit away from the insecure desire to pursue something that's ultimately maybe not the healthiest thing in the world for them. And again, I'm not in any way trying to condemn Mr. Olympic Fitness. I still think it's fucking awesome and inspiring. I'd love to be able to lead people down the path of doing that in a way that's ultimately the healthiest for your body and your mind, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of there's a lot of people going through hard times, especially young aspiring athletes and young aspiring fitness enthusiasts. And the reason they're pursuing this thing is because they think it's the solution to their problems. They think it's going to change who they are. They think it's going to make them more confident. None of that is true, right? It's not the end result. It's the process. And I think that just, I keep coming back to that a lot. Yeah. I want to ask another question about something you talked about earlier, which is, and you've mentioned this before, sort of, you really don't like letting people down and you don't like starting something and not finishing it or whatever. And you're busy and you've got a million things going on. And you also have your family and you have all of these other aspects of your life that you need to be working on on a daily basis. And I think I've asked you this question before, but it's worth asking again for all of the other aspiring type A people who are maybe putting too much on their plate these days or anytime. How do you reconcile prioritizing and knowing what you can have on your plate and still do a good job and not wanting to say no to people? How do you know? Like, Because a lot of people, they wait until it's too late. They say yes to everything, and then they let people down instead of doing the harder job of saying, I can't do 100 things. I'm going to have to say no to you right now, but maybe later. Like, You know what I mean? Like, This is basic kind of interpersonal and business Mm -hmm. relationships, but a lot of people have a really hard time with it. They're being given opportunities or they have all these options and they don't want to say no, and then they end up paying for it later down the road. So how do you deal with that stuff? Well, as you know, I'm still struggling with that sometimes, right? There's so many great opportunities that seem to fit into my big picture mission and my big picture purpose. And 
For me, the thing that I realize literally daily is what I love to do is interact with people one to one and help them. Right. So I love. I realize that somewhere deep in my in my soul, I'm a coach, and I'm, I'm like I don't know if I'm a coach. Maybe I'm, I'm more of a, of a mentor, like someone who stands beside you, holds your arm, and say, "Let's go. I got your back. Let's do this together." And I love doing that, which is why I've kind of started to lean more to coaching and mentorship because failure isn't an option for me. I think people know that by my standard. Like if I take somebody on as a mentoring client, them failing is only going to be a result of them not following through. There's no way in my mind where like I'll work harder on their business than, than they will in many instances, right? Because, or on their body, because I, like, I'm so committed to their success. And I don't know if that's a huge problem for me, but anyway, so once I've got clarity on what I want to do with my life, it made it a lot easier for me to say no to things. That being said, there's a lot of things that come up that are just like, wow, that sounds wonderful. That contributes to my to my mission and let's do that. So maybe it fits. And here's how I approach my life. And I think everyone should do this because this is the best approach I've ever come across. And if anyone has a better one, I'd love to hear from you. So every Sunday I sit down and I write down all the things I have to do. So Dean Jackson, who's a marketing guru, has become a good friend of mine. This is his thing you can find on YouTube. Five zero, 50 minute focus finder. Put on a set of headphones. We use the app Focus at Will, which is just a website. It's like nine bucks. Focus at Will. You, you can pick any type of music and just lock in and listen to this music in your headphones. So you set a timer for 50 minutes and you don't take the pen off the paper and you write down everything you have to do. And that's like including I have to go send Ashley an email. I have to go to the grocery store. I have to go for my walk, whatever. Write everything down. Everything you have to do. And then so I, I create buckets. So I'll have a bucket of the things that need to get done but aren't really urgent, like the big picture buckets, like here's my projects. So all I do is once I have that kind of project bucket, I just pick six things. And I pick what I'll call my top six. And that's it. Every day I'm only working on six things. If I can check off six things, I win. Even if I check off four, I'm usually happy. But if I check off six things, it's a win. And then for something to get on that list, I have to take something off, obviously, right? So if today I finish four things and take four things off, I can then pick the next highest four priorities and put them on the list. But that's really how I approach every day. So I have all this huge list of things to do, and I'm only looking at these top six. And that's the same way I work with my team, or I've always worked with my teams. Like, hey, we've got this, this top six, and today we're going to work on priority one first. You know, if you get tired of that, go on to two. But really, this week, we're just focusing on these top six. And the only way something gets on the list is if something else comes off. And I think that mm-hmm. has worked really well for me when you have 8 million things to do and it's really hard to focus. You know, they're, and you get this asked, they're all there on the list. Mm-hmm. But I have to cross some other things off the list first before I can do it. And then there's some shit you got to do on a day-to-day basis that you just have to do. But as far as like projects and tasks and big picture things, you can only work on a small number of things, especially if you want to focus. And literally, if, if one of them takes me three months to do because it's a long project like this the developing the course content for the personal training certification, the course, course content for the mentorship, the course content for the coaching, that shit takes me months. Some of them have been on there for six months. Like they're certainly on there when I was in Columbia in November. So it stays and it doesn't, doesn't get bumped. And I just work on it piece by piece, piece by piece. And it just eventually hopefully falls off. And then you look back and you go, man, I took all this stuff off my list. And that's been a great method for me. And you know, I take that a couple steps deeper, but I won't share that with the audience. But that's basically it. There really is nothing better than marking things off a list. I do it every day. I don't, I haven't done like the six per day thing, but I, it's like, there's something so calming. I'll actually do like a different piece of paper for every day. I'll do them all like maybe a couple days in advance, but there's something so nice to just see it compartmentalized and then to be able to draw a line through it. You feel tangibly like you're moving forward. Dopamine. It's literally dopamine, right? You're moving towards something. It's dopamine. So it's yeah. 
Do you find just like a little bit of a switch direction right now? Because I just think this is kind of an interesting thing that people are talking about. Do you find that you're shopping? I wouldn't think you'd be eating really differently. But do you feel like you're shopping differently or spending money differently on groceries and necessities since quarantine than you normally do or not much of a difference? It's completely different. I, I don't even go to the grocery. So I literally have... Everything's ordered in. Yeah, I invested in a one of Ben Greenfield's dad's water filters. His name's Gary. And it was like three grand, put it in my house. I'm like, I don't have to worry about going to the store for water anymore. I invested in a ton of meat from Belcampo and Billings. So I'm like, I have all the meat and fish I'm going to need. And I have tons of organs and bones and stuff. And I'm like, I have enough for months. Mm-hmm. I have two freezers full. And the other thing I use every day is olive oil and then Redmond sea salt. And literally, so I've actually been doing mostly carnivore lately, Ash, to be honest, and kind of by just like, well, ease and yeah. simplicity right now. And this idea of ordering the highest quality meat in the country on the internet, like, why would I go to the grocery store? So here's a story for you. I took a meditation course this weekend. It was a one-on-one course. So nobody get mad at me. Guy sat on the other side of the room and nobody get mad at me. But so yeah, one-on-one course, transcendental meditation. And yeah, to go to the course, you have to do... You have to bring three pieces of fruit and seven flowers. It's like an offering. So I went to the grocery Saturday morning or Sunday morning, Saturday morning. And I was like, hey, I literally parked outside, put my my hazard lights on, walked in, just going to grab some fruit and grab some flowers and get out. The place was packed, packed. Like, what the fuck? Like, what are people doing? They're not taking it seriously. And it's a huge challenge. But anyway, so that was my extent of going to the grocery store. And if I'm getting vegetables or something, or if I have the desire to eat some vegetables, which honestly hasn't been a lot. I just order some on, on like Instacart or something like that. What uh, companies will have a delivery service. And my sister yeah. was telling me yesterday, is this, are you shopping online? I'm doing a little bit of both, to be honest. Yeah. I think going back to the, like the crazy mob scenes in the grocery stores, like I really do think that this is like a reckoning for a lot of people who have no idea how to grocery shop and also are, are just like overreacting in weird ways, like buying too much of stuff and too frequently and whatever. But like I have, I've heard a lot of people complaining that they're spending more money on groceries because probably because they're not used to like on a weekly basis, buying everything they think they're going to need. People eat out so much. They buy so much like seamless or quick food and not even necessarily like it's all junk food but just like buying their salad one off and and it makes it seem like they're not spending as much money and then when they have to go to the grocery store and think about what they need to eat for a week straight or two weeks straight or whatever people are like kind of freaking out over how much money they're spending and i'm like this is this is a perfect example of like being able to be mindful and think about it and like really pay attention to what you're doing and care about what you're eating and like i have honestly been eating better since quarantine started and i eat pretty good anyway and i've been eating way better because i'm just paying attention to it i love that you brought that up and i've been so aware of that is is everything you're doing is changing everything So therefore, you no longer have the opportunity to live from a mindless place, right? You actually have to become conscious of things like, oh, I have to do this differently. and I have to start preparing differently and buying different things. And that's the greatest opportunity. It's like bringing everything above the the surface like we spoke about, right? It's like nothing you're doing is unconscious now because the routine has been flipped on it. Amazing change, right? Pick. Don't just let things happen. This objective versus subjective living. Don't go with the, the breeze. Go in the direction that you want to with a vengeance. And that's I think it's such a cool opportunity if you take if you take it as such, right? And yeah. one of the things that I noticed, I don't know if you've noticed this, I love this, is like I've met all my neighbors, mm. right? Previous to this, I didn't know any of them. And like I've met all of them. And they, they come up, you know, six, ten feet away and they go, Hey, how are you doing? And we chat for 20 minutes and this is so great. I'm like, I would have never met neighbors in the past. I think it's a really interesting social experiment where you're gonna have this really tight-knit group of people and everybody else is gonna be on the outside, right? Because yeah. like now you also notice you're walking down the road, people will go the other side of the road if they're walking past you. So you're not going to meet random strangers, chances are, but the people that are close, hopefully will become closer. 
yeah. which, is, which is really interesting. I think who knows how it's going to affect it, but super interesting. It is such a cool thing. I'm noticing this too. Like I know people are doing like neighborhood parties where everyone's going out into their balconies or into their driveways and they've got their, you know, if it's beer or their sparkling water or whatever, but they're like having little parties and their social distance. And like, I went so for they a walk shut that down in Florida, so you know. Yeah, I mean, some actually some people are kind of calling the cops and some people are like, relax, they're 10 feet away. But anyway, I went for my walk today and I actually, I'm going to post on um, social media later. I was in sort of, yeah, just like the neighborhood and someone had painted, I guess there was a painter living in one of these houses and they had painted a landscape of the neighborhood that we live in and they had put it on their easel in their front sort of like driveway so people could walk by and see this beautiful artwork that this person painted like while they were in quarantine and people are posting like their kids' pictures and stuff like that and it's like, it's a way to communicate because we're all kind of in this weird situation together and it makes you think like why wouldn't we do this on a normal day when everyone's like why wouldn't we do this but we haven't thought about it until we felt so hemmed in i'll tell you one of the cool things that my neighbors have done is, is by accident four or five of us happen to be on the road at the same time and one guy goes hey guys i just want you all to know if anyone needs toilet paper i have an abundance Another guy goes, hey, guys, if anybody needs bottled water, I've got an abundance. If anybody needs canned food. So everyone's kind of going like, hey, if you need anything, this is what I've got an abundance of. And that's a really cool thought, right? It's like, if you need anything at all, I'm here for you. And I think I've done that in a group. You've done that in a group. I think it's a really interesting exploration to just go, hey, how can I help? And the fact that people are doing that means so much. And maybe I'm blessed to live around great people. But I think there's this, this really cool energy that exists in creating a tight-knit community. I do think that's coming out. And one thing Alex and I were talking about on our walk today was we were thinking like so many people are saying things to the effect of we're really realizing what is necessary and what isn't, what is essential and what isn't to us personally, whether that's how much money we're making or how much time we're spending with our family or how many things we need or how much we need to shop and all that kind of stuff. And it does seem like when this is over, it could go in two different directions. It could go in the direction where we come out of this super grateful and super mindful and remembering what we were we just dealt with and just having so much appreciation for what we have and sticking to kind of that minimalism framework, or we can come out and go nuts and completely forget everything that we've done mindfulness wise while we're stuck in our quarantine. And I'm sure, you know, like it's human nature. Some people are going to go one way, some people are going to go the other. But what do you think? Like, what advice do you have for people who, when we are finally unleashed, some people are going to go nuts. They're going to go to the mall and they're going to shop and they're going to buy a million things and they're going to go get drunk, whatever. But how do we kind of keep this sort of mindful framework when we go back out into the world and things go back to normal? It's just habits. There's, there's no way around this reality that if you create strong habits now, you'll carry them. And if you don't, you won't. And yeah. learning to be conscious of things is huge. I think one thing that I want to bring to everyone's attention is this very obvious awareness that right now there's a very small number of people in the world making a huge, huge sum of money, meaning Amazon, meaning large corporations, meaning whoever's invested in, in these vaccines, things like people are making huge sums of money. People, As soon as this economy turns, people are going to be foreclosing on their houses. The wealthier are going to get wealthier. So my suggestion is be aware of where you are spending your money. Like, are you supporting your local businesses? Are you supporting small businesses? Or are you supporting the big, you know, Amazon people? Like, it's super interesting to, I don't know if I spoke about this in previous podcasts, but the stuff that Amazon is curating to ensure that their growth continues to be scaled is really interesting. Again, no conspiracy theories, although I think there, there may be some worth talking about. The Amazon, like Jeff Bezos is, is him and Bill Gates seem to be the guys who are benefiting most in this situation. I'm sure there's other very wealthy people who are, but it's certainly interesting to realize how they're just trying to get more of a shift and more of a shift. And, and you know, ultimately, maybe it's leading to 
one currency or one world government or like this is kind of the controversy theories that are going out there. Who knows whether or not it's curated or not remains to be seen at best a, a conspiracy theory. But just be aware of where your dollars are going, man. Like this is the reason why I, I love working with Belcampo and I love working with Billings and I love working with Fresh Press because I'm not going to fucking Whole Foods to buy my food. Forget it. If I, it's Bezos. If I can go to a small company who's local, who's doing a really good job, that's where I want to go. That was kind of the logic is the more I can stay out of the big box, the better, you know, let yeah. me like to stay out of the box. So if you're supporting local restaurants, support local butchers, local farmers, you know, any, any local small business and stay off. I mean, I, I'm on Amazon way too much, but just because I buy books and like I'm looking for other places to now buy books and use different audio book companies. And I just signed up for optimize.me, which I think is awesome, which is philosopher's notes, Brian Johnson. If you guys haven't done that, it's friggin' awesome, super cheap. And basically what he does is he curates books. So he'll read a book a day. Now he probably has a team doing it. But when he started, he read a book a day. And he just gives you the five big ideas in a video, 10-minute long video, sorry, a 10-page PDF summarizing the book. So rather than having to read the book, and then he's got, you know, brings on the experts, does a podcast, or he, like, it's a really good resource if you want to learn fast, learn a lot, and not have to read the whole book. And if something really appeals to you, then you go, I'm going to go jump into this. That's where honestly I find a lot of the podcast guests is I'll go in there and snoop through books that I find really interesting. Like John Medina was in there. Kelly McGonigal was in there. Dr. Perlmutter is in there. Like, so it goes through success books, health books. He's very, uh, very much in this optimization space. And he does a really good job, like super, super good job of giving you actionable items and then kind of curating books for you. I mean, you have a huge book list. I'm sure you have 30 books on your list that you want to read. I probably have a hundred and I don't, I don't have time to read them all. So sometimes I go like listen to five of those, which takes an hour. And then I kind of get the gist of three or four of the books and the one that I really love and go out and buy it and read it. So. That's cool. A little hack. Yeah, that's smart. We kind of got off track before. You were talking about this crazy transcendental meditation class you took this weekend, but tell us more about that. I also find it interesting that you took this intense class on the weekend and then Monday had a super shitty, stressful day. No, I'll tell you. Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you what happened. So it's meant to be a four-day class, but Monday I had meetings and shit to do, so I didn't go to the last day. There you go. So, mm, man, I didn't, I didn't seal the deal. And I, I felt bad about that. And I was like, man, I should really go. But here's the thing. I think the instructor I had wasn't best, wasn't the best for me. And that's me maybe placing massive judgment, but it was a two hour class that could have been done in 10 minutes, 15 minutes. But isn't that the point? That's no, 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 so. through in 10 minutes. No, it's, not, it's not the point that it would need to be 10 minutes. The point is the repetitive nature of, so the guy's in his eighties, nothing against the guy. He's very old. And it was just like, man, I, I really, so the first few days was amazing. I got a lot out of it. And the last day was meant to just be like, we're just going to go back and do this again. And I was like, eh. time is valuable. If I'm not spending those two hours with my kids, this thing needs to be very valuable. And I found the last day would be stress. So there's a lot of irony there that I skipped the last day of meditation and I experienced a stressful day. Mm. What did you take from it though? Because you, I mean, obviously we've spent a lot of time in mindfulness and meditation practice. What I really like so my maybe uh, again i'm not an expert i certainly haven't done this for a very long time three days it's not make, does not make me an expert but what i noticed was relative to conventional mindfulness meditation it's more predictable and more immediate so it's almost certain it is certain that you're going to get into a meditative state it's faster and regardless of where you are what you're doing it's much easier to turn off your conscious mind so if I'm sitting in a in a bodybuilding event, if I'm sitting in a rock concert, if I'm sitting in a place where like I don't necessarily want to be, I can go into this state. Nobody around me is going to know. 
and I could turn off that conscious thinking. If I'm someone who has a really racing mind, if I'm very anxious or stressed or fearful or whatever, I can turn it off almost in certainly under 60 seconds, I would say. And then just, just then explore your, your unconscious. So I think that's why this is coming to my life right now. So basically TM for anyone that doesn't know is, is a mantra based meditation. And all it is, is, is you're given this mantra based, it's based on your age, I think. And you're given this mantra to repeat over and over and over. That's all you do for the, for the 20 minutes a day. Sometimes they suggest twice, just repeat the mantra. And what will happen is your, your brain will start going into the unconscious and you'll forget that you have a mantra and you'll just exist in this meditative state. And every time you come out of it, back to this, think of like going deep into the ocean and coming back to the surface, you just repeat the mantra and it takes you back under. And it's kind of this up and down roller coaster, ideally more down than up, where you're just literally coming back to the mantra, coming back to the mantra, and then getting deeper and deeper and deeper. Super simple, no right or wrong. In fact, that was the explanation is like, there's no right or wrong. The target is just repeat the mantra. And I'll tell you, repeatable with certainty and very quick. Whereas certain days, like if, if you sit down and your heart's racing and you're in an anxious state and you're stressed out and you haven't slept well, the likelihood of getting into a conv- conventional mindfulness meditation, if you're not an expert, is less. But I think there need, there's probably a, a benefit to doing both. Okay. So then maybe that's something I should look into because I've only cool. done like traditional stuff and I'm pretty much always restless and antsy. So trying to like force myself into a more traditional calm state when I'm like that may not be the easiest thing. So TM. It will be faster and more uh, replicable for you, more consistent. Yeah. Okay. I know you didn't want to, we've got to kind of get off soon, but do you want to go over a couple more just quick questions and then we can. Absolutely. One thing, I guess it's not so much a question, but people have been asking, you know, in general terms, like how do I completely avoid gaining fat and quarantine 15 while we're like stuck inside. And one thing that I wanted to talk about and your thoughts on it from a big muscular man perspective is the concept of NEAT, right? So there's like non-exercise movement that is going to make up much more of the kind of bulk of your calorie burning during the day than one sort of okay workout at home, right? And I think this is a concept that a lot of people aren't aware of. You still see all these like sort of pie charts on Instagram that are like, this little sliver is how many calories you're burning during your workout. And this is the rest of your life and your day. And the idea that a lot of people burn themselves out on these like hit workouts every day, and then they like reward themselves and relax by sitting on the couch and never moving for another like 12 hours and how these things sort of balance out. But and I'm only speaking about it because I'm like very hyper aware when we're doing these videos that I'm a really fidgety person. And I'm kind of always like moving around. <laughs> I'm like, am I distracting people? But that's, that is the, the non-exercise related sort of movement during the day that's actually burning calories for you. And it's, I think, I think you can speak to this. It's helping with your energy levels too, because everybody knows that good sleep is one thing, but sitting on the couch doesn't make you feel rested. That makes you feel more tired and lethargic. So can you speak to that a little bit? Just kind of the concept of like sort of this regular movement during the day and how important that is? Because I think people don't pay attention to that as much. Yeah. So the non-exercise attributed thermogenesis, I don't know the exact percentage. I think it's like 30% or something like that for healthy people. And as you diet though, the irony of it, this is what happens. They've seen this across the board. As you, as you calorie restrict, your need goes down unconsciously. So your body will unconsciously just try to move less. And so that's a huge thing. So most people, if you, if you eat more, your body temperature is higher, you tend to want to move, you tend to be a little more expressive, you tend to, to tend to choose movement over being passive. And that's a huge necessity in understanding how to lose body fat. If your need starts going down, simple way to look at your need is just track your, track your steps, right? If you're sitting on your butt all day and your steps are low, well, then you need to increase your need. So, and, yeah. and, not, and I think the challenge with steps that I find is not all steps are created equal, right? So last night I went for a walk. And it was, it was slow. It was like meandering and I was enjoying it. it as a meditative walk and it wasn't calorically demanding, but it was a lot of steps. 
Whereas in the morning, if I go for a walk, I'm like hammering for an hour. That's a completely different experience, even though it's the same registered number of steps. So not all movement is created equal. Technically neat is me sitting here tapping on the desk or you sitting there fidgeting. And it is minor as far as its caloric expenditure. But I think what they're looking for when, when they, they really start to measure neat is, are you actually sitting on your ass or are you cleaning or are you, you know, I don't know, moving things around? Are you like, I don't know, things that are actually productive and movement centered rather than just minor fidgeting. And again, minor fidgeting burns calories as well. Even chewing gum burns calories, but it's certainly a small number. But yeah, I think it's important for people to realize when you're sitting at home a lot, just create a schedule for yourself. Every 50 minutes that we're sitting down, set an alarm so it goes off and move for 10 minutes. And I do that and I'll get up and I'll do push-ups of the yoga. I've got my yoga mat set up in the living room where yeah. I'm kind of always going out there. Just even if it's just like a little bit, or if I'm listening to, if I'm on a call sometimes, I'll just get down and do some yoga or I'll go for a walk outside and intentionally trying to schedule your life in breaks so it's not just constantly sitting on your butt. Yeah, and the idea, like a lot of people are doing these workouts that they're finding online and it's 100 of this, 100 of that, 100 of that. And it's like, why not break that stuff up? Like if you're someone like fire and you want to do, yeah, 100 burpees in a row, cool. But you could also do 10 of them every half an hour for all day. And then you're, it's just like, it's good for your energy and it's good for your endorphins. It is. Better. It's not going to have the same metabolic response though, right? So every time you, when you think of, when you start getting into like energy systems, it's a different so effectively, if you're looking for caloric expenditure, maybe it's very close. But if you're looking for an adaptation to the energy system, it's different. So yeah. if you're doing it to exercise, then you do it to exercise. You do it in a, in a, in a tight window. Yeah. If you're doing it for movement base, like if I'm just trying to make sure I get my calories burned today, it's different. But So I think people should have both. I think you should certainly be hyper aware of training the energy systems. And that's the aerobic energy systems. That means that exercise you can do effectively with your mouth closed repetitively for 30 to 60 minutes at a high, the highest possible intensity you can do with your mouth closed. That's an aerobic based workout. That's useful. Anaerobic is when you start going to places where now I start to I have to open my mouth and I'm breathing a little heavier through my mouth. And that does also train the aerobic system, but most importantly, or maybe most specifically train the anaerobic system. So we want to make sure we're training both of those systems because they're so important in, in health and longevity and your body's ability to burn through energy. So really trying to push up that what's called the VO2 max, where how high can I train with my mouth closed? That's oversimplification, but that's really what it is. Mm-hmm. And if you can stay in that super high aerobic state, your body's going to burn more fat during exercise, more fat when you're sleeping and, and resting, and therefore likely be overall leaner, my belief. So as yeah. you put that VO2 max up, which can happen in a number of different ways, but that's the gist of it. Okay. What are your thoughts on, someone's asked you about your your idea on fasts that are over 72 hours. And also, I guess you could speak specifically about fasting during quarantine. Like I know there's been some communication out there that fasting isn't great for your immunity if you're doing sort of longer fasts. And if you are immune compromised, maybe you should be just focusing on eating healthy. But generally speaking, what are you thinking about like healthy people fasting during the quarantine? I think it's a good idea. I think it's a good idea to do something that's unusual, that's uncomfortable to restrict that eating window. Like you mentioned last week, that, that's been useful for you to maybe just be a little bit more aware of your calories, aware of your, where it's coming from. And, and I think one of the things that I introduce into everyone's diet that works with me is a period of being hungry. And that can happen in the middle of the day. That can happen at the end of the day, at the beginning of the day, whatever that tends to work for that person. But like I'll often try to go eight hours between meals, like even during the day. So if my first meal is at eight, I may not eat again until six or seven. Mm-hmm. And I intentionally want to be hungry between meals. I think there's something magical about being hungry. Uh, maybe it's not magical, but maybe it's it's certainly beneficial. So whether that happens in the morning, that happens in the midday, or happens in the night, I suggest everyone be hungry. And then, like the metaphor I often use with respect to training, see how close you can get to the fire. 
right? So whenever, when you're training in the gym, if you come into the gym with me and you train legs or you train any body part, at some point it's going to start to get uncomfortable. And at some point your brain is going to go into panic mode and go, holy shit, I need to stop, right? And the question becomes, do you need to stop? Or did you just choose to stop? Because it was getting a little bit uncomfortable. So you're getting a little bit closer to that fire. Oh, yeah, I've never been here before. This is very uncomfortable. I'm going to stop. So eventually, if you're if you're an elite athlete, you go right up to the fire and you play with the fire and you use it to, to cook your food and it becomes your best friend. But if you're someone who's new to the fire, any amount of heat is very scary. Same thing with fasting, right? If you're if you're new to fasting, if you've never been hungry before on purpose, you tend to create this this stress response. You start to create the story in your mind that goes, Holy shit, if I don't eat, I might die. Right. And as you know, you're not gonna die. Mm-hmm. So learning to maybe explore the discomfort or explore the new sen- and we call it discomfort. That would be a label, right? Why don't we just call it the new sensation that exists around being hungry for an extended period of time? And create the, I do this with a lot of clients too who have a hard time losing weight. Start creating this association where when you feel that hunger, you smile and you realize, hey, this is my body in a fat burning state. Chances are, if I'm feeling hungry, my ghrelin levels are up, which means my blood sugar is probably down and my growth hormone levels are probably up, right? That's a good thing. That's associated with fat burning. So if you feel that, I want you to smile and go, yes, I did it. Now let's see how long I can stay here. Maybe you start a clock and you go, hey, let's see how long I can stay here before I really decide that I want to eat. And when I eat, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. But I just want to see if I can stay here a little bit longer tomorrow, right? And, and get used to that, getting closer to that fire. And I think that's a huge tool for people is acknowledging that, that hunger is not stress. It's not anxiety. You're not going to die, even though it's built into our genetic code, right? I'm, yeah. sure, there, I'm sure there's not a shortage of food. And if there is, tell us, we'll help you out. I really like the analogy of the fire, but I also think you might be slightly underestimating. You said, you know, if people come train legs with me, at some point, they're going to feel uncomfortable. That's a bit of an understatement, having trained with you before. I think people might describe it as something else. But anyway, do you ever fast for more than like, what's your longest fast? 72 hours. Okay. And at that point, you're kind of just feeling like I've done, I've done enough or you were ready to eat or you diminishing returns at that point or what were what you uh, I, th- I think I made a mistake in planning 72 hours. I think because once 72 hours is done, you've kind of already in your brain said, oh, I've got this meal yeah. plan, I'm gonna do this. And I could have gone forever, probably I could have kept going. You feel amazing. Your brain feels awesome. Yeah, you feel hungry, but you're like, you feel good. Yeah. Yeah. So I, for me, though, to be honest, because of the amount of muscle ca- I carry, I noticed that I probably lost more muscle than I did fat. So mm-hmm. I find, ironically, I find I lose fat way better when I do short bouts of, of fasting. If I keep my eating window a little restricted, but I eat really good foods during that window, I lose fat so much faster because I need to maintain that muscle. Muscle is my metabolic machinery, right? I think mm-hmm. the big challenge with fasting that people just don't acknowledge is it's nonspecific. You're going to lose muscle, right? I think they suggest after 72 hours, the body will start preserving muscle because it releases growth hormone, but maybe that's after 24 hours, but there's certainly going to be a period of muscle breakdown. So I think that's something to be aware of. And I was talking to Ben Greenfield and he talked about this fasting mimicking diet, the Walter Longo Prolon diet, right? So this idea of like actually eating some calories that prevent muscle breakdown and still having very, very low calories for five days, seven days. Mm -hmm super, super low calories. So you're still getting the benefits of autophagy without getting the insulin spikes, right? So insulin spike is really what's going to what's going to stimulate mTOR and that's going to stop the, the autophagy. So it's the, it's the insulin spikes and obviously the amino acid spikes. So we wouldn't have a huge amount of protein. We wouldn't have a huge amount of carbohydrate, mostly fat-based, low-calorie stuff. 
All right. I mean, anecdotally, I would say that I kind of agree with what you're saying, probably again, for also like fit people who don't have a lot of fat to lose. And they're mostly doing it for just overall health benefits or autophagy or feeling good. I think that maybe some of these shorter, more concentrated fasting, because I would say again, for myself, like the few times that I've done two or three day fasts, it's fine. I don't think that it's like super improving my body composition. But over the last three weeks doing this shorter compressed eating window thing, I've been eating like bigger meals. I've been not to say lenient, like I'm eating junk, but like I'm not being super strict, like paying attention to how many carbs I eat or anything. And I, I feel like I'm actually like improving my body composition since I've been stuck in the house and I'm moving probably even working out daily when I can and going for long walks, I'm probably moving like 70% less daily. And this is, I feel stupid saying it because I'm around people like you and I've been in the bodybuilding world for a long time and I know cardio isn't everything. But this is really proven the movement part of it. I mean, that's obviously important, but the diet, like you just got to sort your shit out. Because well, I, I think it's, I think it's being hungry. I think it's hungry, right? Like, I really think that that's, there's something magic about that, that people yeah. just, so the thing is you could fast people. I fasted people for 48 hours and they don't get hungry, right? Yeah. So they don't have that, that natural leptin ghrelin response that you should have just disrupted. So you have to do it often enough. So your body kind of gets used to having an empty stomach. Maybe your, your transit time slows down. Your stomach emptying slows down. Maybe some. Maybe there's some inflammation that just, just don't feel the sensation of hunger. They eat because they have to. They don't because they're hungry. So I really encourage people to start exploring the sensation of hunger and exploring being hungry for a long time, right? See what it feels like. Yeah. One thing I wanted to mention before we sign off here, because I think you mentioned it earlier in the call, and I'm pretty excited about it, is that the Muscle Intelligence blog page is now live, and we're going to put a bunch of awesome stuff now, up there. You have no idea how much content I have written on my computer that's never seen the world. It's unbelievable. I, I wrote hours a day for a long time. All right. So much. And I, someone's going to have to edit and curate it and, and put it out to the world. There's so much. You want, you want to take responsibility on that? Sure. Hey, that's my job. I'm an editor. I can I can do that. Can can you tell us about the amazing thing that you've recently accomplished? Because I'd love to hear a little bit about it. Oh, the book being the first draft being done. Mm-hmm. Where's the celebrate good time song in the background? How, I'll add how, many, how many recipes do you have? It's about ninety. I wrote about fifty thousand words in four months. And it was, you know, we talked about this. It's like with a book, especially, it will fill the time you give it. You can write, you can finish your first book when you're 92 if you don't set a deadline for it. And I set like a really, really tight deadline for this just because I didn't, honestly, part of it was being ambitious and part of it was just not knowing any better. And unfortunately, I didn't get everything done because the photography didn't get done because, you know, a month out, I wasn't allowed to be in the same room with my photographer. So we're still working on that. But yeah, I mean, it was really, really challenging and a lot of work. And I'm like tired of looking at recipes for a little while, but I'm very excited about it. And the plan is still to have it done in October. So now like the hard work of editing is going to be the fun stuff. And like, I'm you not know, editing though, right? So you have something that's coming in to do it for you. I've got somebody else doing it. And I think being an editor myself actually is going to be really helpful because I think one of the things that they deal with the publishing companies is like dealing with the thin skin of a writer who like thinks that every track change is like the word, you know, and I'm like used to, I'm used to this. So I think that I probably came in with it a little bit cleaner than the average person, but also I've got pretty thick skin about it. Talk to me about that, Ash, because that's a real thing. It's like, if I have a, a feeling toward trying to convey a message in a certain way and the editor comes in and goes, I don't want to convey that message. I want to go in this direction. How do you, how do you come to terms on that? <sighs> that's well, I mean, I actually have a call with the publishing company in like an hour. So I'll let you know how that goes. Cause I'm going to be talking to them on the phone, but I think a lot of it depends on 
picking the right people in the first place, right? Because if you pick the right publisher or the right editor or whatever, that you know, that you know, you guys get along, you communicate well, you're both pretty clear on each other's sort of visions and goals in the beginning, there probably won't be a lot of surprises like, oh, shit, you are going in a completely different direction. Like that probably won't happen. But I think it's just like, it's just a dance. You got to go back and forth because there's always going to be some differences in opinion. And you just have to know from the writer's standpoint, what your hard lines are, like what you will not accept or what you will not move forward with or what you will not concede on. And the editor is going to have those things too. So you just have to be clear and not too emotional about it. And we'll see, like I'm still early in the process. So they haven't said anything that's upset me yet. So we'll see. The reason I ask is because like, I feel like my direction and content is very specific. And I I hired someone last year, I think I told you, actually 2018 now I hired somebody to write my book with me to kind of co-author and kind of guide me through the process. And we did, I don't know, six or seven chapters and long chapters, maybe even more than that, actually. So we did a whole layout and then all the chapters and I squashed it because, he, you know, we had these amazing calls and I was spitting like all this amazing information. I don't think they're recorded, but maybe he hadn't recorded. And he turned it into, into a flow and said, here, man, go ahead and edit this. And so I, I you know, edited, sent him some other content I created. He put it all together and I read it. And I was like, this just sounds nothing like me. Like it sounds nothing like I would have put together. And yeah. it's a waste of time and money. And it was months. And I was like, man, this sucks. So I had to squash it. But not knowing, like at the time, I was like, man, this guy's got this track record was fantastic. The number of books he's put out was amazing. You know, originally, I just wanted someone to kind of like keep me accountable to a daily section. And I would write it myself. But he goes, you know what, man, like we could do, you're such a good talker. We could do this really fast. I'll ask you questions. We'll get, we'll get on that path. I'm like, okay, now let's see how that goes. And it just worked. Yeah, I mean, you know, you said you you vetted this guy, but how many of his books did you read? Like, you know what I mean? Like, ultimately, it it probably did just come down to it wasn't a good personality, really. Like, that's, you know, and I think that that's really tough, especially the kind of book you're writing, because it is going to be very, not necessarily like you're telling secrets, but it's going to be very personal, right? So you're going to have a very specific vision for how you want it to sound. You just have to pick somebody who really gets it. And that's the hardest part. You know, you know, the hardest part of any kind of business is hiring the right people, right? Like having people that you feel comfortable delegating to people that you know, can, you know, pull their weight and then some and that can think for themselves and all of those things. It's really hard. Human resources is the hardest part of any company, like picking the right people. So yeah, yeah, I really like that's something that's one of my main targets for this year is finding someone who can just walk me through that process. I actually enjoy writing. It's you know I find it therapeutic. I think I'm I don't think I'm good at it, but I'm certainly capable. And I'd love to have someone just hey, here's what you have to do every day for the next six months. Here's your here's your piece. Write this. Write this. Write this. And I eventually get it done. Are you giving me the eyebrow because you volunteer? Yeah. No. Well, I would be very happy to help you. And I actually think based on how long we've worked together successfully that we can do it. But let's be real here, Ben. Somebody outside of your brain that's going to tell you every day to do something and you're going to... Well, you're if, gonna- if, I, if I schedule it, if I schedule like, hey, six to eight every morning, I'm writing, right? So for, for me, because that would be a top priority, I would, it would be the first thing I did as soon as I get up. Like I'd meditate. I'd, I'd maybe even not meditate. Maybe just write. And then after I'm done, then I train and I meditate after that. And I just make it part of my life because it is my top priority. I was just like, this is, I have three hours book locked every day before anybody gets up, right? Yeah. So from 4.30 to 7.30 before the kids are up, I'm writing and or for whatever, seven. And I could, I could certainly commit to that. You know, I'm, I'm a machine when I commit to something. It's just a matter of kind of locking down in one place is a challenge. Yeah, I mean, if you set if you set the goal and then gave that goal to somebody else, like you set this many hours a day and once a month or whatever, we're going to... S- take three hours and we're going to go over it or you're going to take it and you're going to, you set the timeline, put it in writing. 
give it to somebody else so that we know what your guideline is and we're just following what you've set. And then it's our job to kind of do the rest of it, pick up the pieces and edit and finesse and all that kind of stuff. That I think would be a way that it could work, but you'd have to set the parameters and then it's up to you and you'd be the one failing your own parameters if you don't do it. You know what I mean? I'm working on it. Yeah, keep me posted because I've got a couple. I've got a couple other smart people. I've got my like Gabrielle Lyons, my other people. Everybody wants to write a book, and everybody wants you know somebody behind the scenes smart. You're, you're so wonderful, Ash. That's why I tell you every day. You know, once we're a couple more months into this process, because I may never want to look at a book again, much less write one. It's right. fine. It's fun. When you love what you're doing, like you said, it doesn't mean it's not hard. But when you love what you're doing, you think that it's useful, and you think it's going to help people. That's it. I've never worked a day in my life, right? Yeah. Yep. All right. I appreciate you. You're wonderful. You're amazing. Today's podcast is brought to you guys by Boobs Naturals. Ashley's hooked on MCT and collagen. I I think that's why I'm like keeping healthy, honestly, because I'm just like drinking up until I start eating. I'm just drinking coffee full of your favorite ingredients, MCT and collagen all day long. Are you adding lion's mane? I actually do have some. I just haven't put it in my coffee yet. It actually adds a nice nutty flavor to your shit. So you know my favorite thing about this? We've had 50, maybe more, maybe 100 people message us or or tag in DMs and go, man, I really love this stuff. People, again, just like the olive oil, sometimes it took some time for people to warm up to it and they realize like, holy Jesus, this is really good. Now, this thing with bubs is it's actually different, right? It's actually better. And, you know, I've had 30 or 40 different types of MCT powder. I bought some when I was in Australia and I was like, this is the worst thing ever. I spent all this money because you couldn't find it. But it was terrible. And that's what I messaged you. I was like, Ash, I need some bubs. And I said it. And I was, I was so grateful. And actually, some of my Australian audience is pissed off at us because they won't, they won't currently ship to Australia. But you, you don't want to spend $1,000 to ship your, ship your bubs to Australia. Although we should work on getting it distributed over there if Sean's listening. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, guys, bubsnaturals.com is truthfully the best MCT and, and collagen that you're going to find anywhere. As far as why it's better or what you should be using it for, the dissolvability and the, the flavor and uh, the consistency is fantastic. And put in your coffee, replace almond milk, replace normal milk, any type of milks you're putting in there. It's way better. Add some collagen in there so you get your body's natural defense to immunity, natural boost to insulin sensitivity. Glycine is a hugely important amino acid, especially for people who are consuming a large amount of animal meat, as Ashley knows. And you can head to bubsnaturals.com and use the code intelligence for 20% off. And we are so grateful for them because that's huge, man. Like I say all the time, it's, it's a huge, huge discount. And you guys will love it, I promise. And anything else for you, Ash? No, I think we covered a lot today. I hope you go outside and get some, do some of that naked sun tanning in your backyard. Get some. That's what I'm doing. Not, not about naked, but I'm gonna go. My kid, oh. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. I'm not in Bali anymore. No, no butthole sun tanning anymore. But I'm gonna go. <laughs> gonna go spend a couple hours with my kids by the pool. Even better. Playing some ball. Thank you. Right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Hey guys, thank you very much for tuning in. I'm super grateful for you being here. As always, if you enjoyed the podcast, get over to Instagram and follow Ashley Van Houten, the Muscle Maven. Follow myself, Epac Fitness, and the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. We're doing daily giveaways, sometimes at least one a week from all of our amazing sponsors and some amazing companies contributing to helping you through this hard time. We're certainly grateful for you being here. If you have enjoyed this podcast, we would absolutely appreciate a review and a share with at least one person you know that would love this podcast. If you're the type of person that likes to help people, like Ashley and I, and then definitely send this over to someone you know and love to jump into the muscle intelligence life. Have a great day. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. 
This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Pikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.